Hello and welcome to This Week at the Movies. I'm Matt. And I'm Eric. And we know it's Saturday, but we were just so excited to talk about a double dip of crime stories. Uh, We are going to be looking at True Detective Night Country, which wrapped up a six-episode run last Sunday. Uh, So, you know, very excited to to be able to discuss that a little bit something different. But before that, we are kicking off with Drive Away Dolls. And you know, this movie was originally supposed to come out in the fall of 23, got pushed uh, until February here. We know what a Cohen Brothers movie is like, but what is a Cohen brother movie like? And that's the question we got uh, to answer here. Uh, we've seen Joel Cohen do his own thing. He made uh, Hamlet for uh, Apple TV Plus a couple of years ago. Beautiful black and white. Denzel Washington uh, was an award season player. Now his brother Ethan doing kind of his own uh, solo project. Did it with his wife, Trisha Cook. Uh, they wrote the screenplay. They came up with the story. He served as the director. And you have some of the elements that you typically expect to see in a Coen Brothers kind of movie that we've come to see. You have, you know, a pretty marquee cast. Uh, you have what looks like it's going to be a crime, a crime story gone wrong, some quirky characters, some quirky dialogue. But this is not like any Coen Brothers movie you've seen. And that's not a good thing for me. I'm just going to start off by saying I'm squarely giving this one thumbs down. Um, I didn't think it was horrific. I will say it is nothing like the trailer. Uh, The trailer kind of gives you this idea that it's this kind of quirky crime story. And I'm not saying there aren't elements of that in there, but this has a very distinctly different focus. And if you watch the movie all the way through, the end title card pulls away and reveals a alternate title that I'm pretty sure is what they probably pitched to be the title for this film and got denied. That would have given you a much uh, different impression of what the movie was going to be like. And I'm thinking that all the marketing campaign from the name of the film to the way they cut the trailers was meant to give you a certain um, sense. You know, we see a lot of Pedro Pascal and Matt Damon in the trailer, even though in a hundred and twenty, uh, in an hour and twenty-four minute movie, you don't see either of them very much. They were really kind of selling and building up. It did not go. It was not the, the story arc I was necessarily expecting. It wasn't the kind of crime caper I was necessarily expecting. I didn't hate it. I. Really enjoy Margaret Qualley and Geraldine Viswathwanathan, who are the primary actors. I like them as performers, and there were some of the back-and-forth dialogue sequences that I thought were pretty amusing. Um, But there was also a lot of weird, crazy editing. There's some psychedelic intercuts that don't make a lot of sense for a long time and only loosely make sense toward the end. It was a way for them to jack Miley Cyrus into the movie. but Eric, uh, did this work better for you? No. <laughs> no. I was alone in the theater in the middle of watching a movie that decided to suddenly like flicker out and go into a 70s, I don't know what the word for it is, that soft-edged square uh, to show me 
uh, uh 60s 70s it's it definitely of, was 60s or 70s it was the and hippie then, kind of free love time period that they were going miley for cyrus, i guess miley cyrus suddenly comes at me and says like do you want to get loaded or something like that and then all of a sudden i blink and i'm back to watching a road movie with two criminals trying to hunt down these girls and I'm only like 95% sure there's a little seed of doubt that it even actually happened. I don't know. This is set in 1999. So this this can be worse. You were alone in the theater. I was there. And then one row up and a slightly over was a couple on a date. And I'm like, well, actually, fun fact. Pretty much exactly the moment when the the. uh one girl wakes up to the girl next to her using the thing that's in the case on herself. Mm. A couple walked into the movie. Now, you know that this is bizarrely late into the movie for someone to walk in. I didn't understand it at all. But the preceding sequence of events with only like tangentially related B-roll footage of a dog chase while they're strapped in the, in, in the underground and, and people are shooting people and then they're getting together and there's like high raunchy sex going all over the place. They walked out 10, 15 minutes later. And the, 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 I don't know what happened to that couple. I think I don't know if they thought like maybe we came in just at the beginning of a movie we were supposed to see. There's no way this feels like it's way late into the movie, and they must have been in the wrong theater. But how funny it was with just the psychedelic like it, it, things with no context. I cannot imagine their experience of sitting in the theater thinking like, huh? Or even yeah. shortly before that would have been the one of the weird. Uh, uh, like dream sequences where she's jumping on the trampoline, seeing oh, the, yeah, no, the lady swimming in, in the pool. She was drilling through the fence, this <laughs> little girl looking through the thing. Which I know when I go swimming, the only thing I bring with me is my boots. Is that supposed to be like a memory of her when she's young? Yeah, I think it's supposed to be like a formative memory or something, I, maybe that was first started, but. Well, I was curious. So I can't remember if she said where she grew up. Did she grow up in Florida? Because she decidedly, a lot of their differences between the two girls is the one you obviously never grew up in Texas. And she's like, no, or anywhere in the South. But somebody going to the pool in their backyard with boots and nothing else really doesn't feel like a Northeastern um sentiment but then like yeah. her aunt was in florida and they made a real choice with that aunt character at the end that went completely unexplained uh, i i don't know i don't know uh, that the here's what i'll say in the movie's favor i uh even though i don't necessarily like the accent and the whole character that's being put on from the actress who Margaret played Pollock. amelia in the nice guys yeah um she I buy their relationship and I kind mm -hmm. of would have liked to see that journey of like the one of them is very like sexually I'm overt and free in the 90s. Kind of used to those accent things though. That, that you know, yeah. was a weird accent and real quirky characters. The two kind of bumbling criminals driving, having these philosophical see, discussions on the road. Those are kind of quintessential Coen Brothers things. But, uh, you know, you and I talked about this briefly off air, but... I don't remember a lot of 
big sex scenes and nudity in a lot of the Coen Brothers films. And the way that they marketed this, well, you yeah. wouldn't necessarily have been expecting it because they don't make no a great a great I, representation. Either they did a marketing campaign on purpose to hide some things, which is kind of how I feel after seeing that alternate title card. Um, I think or they just made made a mistake in the marketing. I guess that that's also no. possible. But they don't give you a great impression. This is is really a love story. Mm -hmm. Th this reeks of we don't know how to sell this. Let's sell it. As Which a might be why it got dumped, dumped out. It was originally supposed to go in September, I thought, or October, something like that. And I thought, oh, they must be going, you know, into awards season. The, you know, the trailers really build it up. I, I thought, hey, you know what? I'm seeing something that is similar. They, they put all over. They, they really highlight Ethan Cohen's. Uh, yeah, participation in here. They really, the way they cut the trailer, they try to draw allusions to their work. So yeah. I, on the one hand, you could say as an audience member, if you went in expecting a Coen brothers film that, you know, that's not these guys together and that's on you. But I feel like the whole marketing from the way, even, I mean, I'm going to say even the way they do the posters and stuff, trying to yeah. kind of elicit, there's actually a different poster that, that I like that's got like a drive-in kind of feel. The whole mm -hmm. way they did the marketing campaign, I thought they really wanted to play into the audience expectation for a certain kind of story. And there are elements of that here but they are trying to do something different and i think they were trying to go for something over the top possibly well, a little satirical possibly trying to make a little bit of a political statement it seemed like at times about a certain party and a certain group of people in the south but like commenting as if it was it the 90s i don't well know. it doesn't come through that's my other thing nothing totally comes through i will say in an era where we've had exceedingly long run times for a lot of things it was sort of refreshing to have an hour and 20 hour minute 20. movie uh mm -hmm. that you could just dive in get going dive out i liked the cast um i liked the potential of what they were yeah. trying to set up they're just not everything came together there were some weird editing and structural choices that never to me pay off or make sense there was you could have had the reveal shot. of what's in the suitcase without having those intercuts and they start those intercuts way up in the beginning i i thought that was i thought that was going to pertain to the girls not realizing it was even going to pertain to a character we hadn't even heard really referenced outside of a billboard by the time mm -hmm. they, they put it in there um you know, it just there are a lot of elements here that could have could have been good, and there are some pieces and some things that worked for me. I didn't hate it. I just I can't recommend it in good conscience either because it's also way different than you know. If you watch that trailer and you're like, oh, I'm gonna go see something like what I've been watching in the anthology series or what I've seen in Raising Arizona or what I've seen in something like Fargo, it's not that. If you're looking for Raising Arizona, you're going to get... I'm going to try and put a big name star where normally they would get this like 
indie character actor and they'd be like do like a really job good job casting uh any movie where someone stabs pedro pascal in the neck with a corkscrew and he actually starts to try to unscrew it should be amazing but it wasn't well, and there was pedro pascal matt damon coleman domingo who's a current mm-hmm. Oscar nominee mm-hmm. uh who who's great bill camp uh, in, in a in a minor role, and like I said, I like Margaret Qualley. I like Geraldine Biswanathan, in mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the things I've seen her in. Beanie Feldman's been in a lot of good things. Uh, you know, Joey Slotnick, who is one of the the thieves on the road, the more verbose one, who's always trying to make friends with people. One of the funniest scenes I thought is when the girls' soccer team leads them astray, and they walk into that to that club. Yes. I mean, whoever that man is. Yeah. That was, that was pretty hilarious, but it just doesn't totally work. They, you know what? When they're on the way that, that scene right there where they're driving to that location, it cuts to the establishing shot is the only shot in the entire movie that has letterboxed. It has black bars. The rest of the movie. No. And you, I wonder if there was a different cut of some of this too. That I I have a question. You know, it would be interesting to see for me to see a kind of uh, open and honest interview with Ethan Cohen and Trisha Cook, because once you get to the end, and I, you know, I'm just going to say it. If if you haven't seen, you get the title card, "Drive Away Dolls," and it quickly rips away to a title card that says "Drive Away Dykes." And I'm a hundred percent, it I'm like almost a hundred percent sure based on how you saw it that that's what they wanted to title mm-hmm. their movie, which then leads you, you know, when you start thinking about the marketing campaign versus what you actually, you know, what is I would say a bulk of the narrative. They kind of hide a little bit or mislead a little bit. And I just wonder if there was some back and forth and, and some disagreement about how to make the movie, how to market the movie, how to do a whole bunch of other things. It also made sense when they had Henry James as a part of their their title card because the author Henry James, you know, gets referenced oh, yeah. quite a bit by not only Geraldine's character, but Coleman Domingo's reading one of the books so that comes up. Were there going to be more tie-ins to that? Um, you know, a few questions. Maybe maybe if I read Henry James, then the psychedelic inserts would make more sense. I don't know. I don't know. It's a one thumb down. I don't. Yeah. I mean, there's potential. It just doesn't, uh, it doesn't quite hit for me. Speaking of uh, potential, and uh, we will debate whether or not it hit for you. Uh, HBO, uh, another thing that was supposed to be the end of 2023, and after we went through all of Night Country and saw that the kind of concluding episodes were Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, I do wonder if the December timing might have been better. It got pushed. Uh, This is the fourth installment of the True Detective franchise. First, that didn't have Nick Pizzolatto as a writer director. This one went to Issa Lopez. Uh, Did very well for HBO. They actually this week have greenlit a fifth installment of True Detective with Issa Lopez writing and directing that will be forthcoming. So, you know, commercially and for HBO, um, 
this this was a success. We will get a fifth installment kind of. If you're not familiar with the True Detective franchise kicked off, I think you said it's exactly 10 years ago, right? It was 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, the first installment was Woody Harrelson, Matthew McConaughey. It's always a couple of detectives usually, or at least one primary detective. They're all anthology series, different settings for locations, crimes, uh, things like that. We had a second season that had... Um, Colin Farrell and Rachel McAdams and Taylor Kitsch uh, that uh, had decidedly mixed reviews. Then there was a third season from Nick Pizzolatto uh, with Mahershala Ali uh, that was kind of set in the South that did a little bit better, but it has been a long time. I pretty well thought True Detective was over until they started saying they were going to make Night Country. You get Jodie Foster in a detective thing. That's that's a pretty big deal. Another Current Oscar nominee doing the detective thing that's out right now. Um, this one was set in Ennis, Alaska. It uh, begins on the last day of daylight that they're going to get for quite some time. Uh, that's why it's called Night Country. They're in a part of Alaska where for days on end, the sun isn't going to rise. Although I have to be honest, there were a few times in some of the later episodes where it was it felt a little light to me. When they were driving around and stuff, I was like, mm. and then they later they'd flash. It's like fourteenth day of night. I'm like, mm. so do you have like twilight periods during your day of night? But we'll set that aside. It begins with a very uh, the thing like setup almost, where a group of researchers who are drilling into ice cores looking for hidden depths uh, suddenly disappear out on the ice. They are later found naked, frozen in terror and brought up and that kicks off an investigation. They also find a tongue in the, uh, in the research facility that belongs to a native woman who was found murdered years earlier. And so it kind of brings these two uh, detectives together, um, trying to essentially solve, theoretically solve both uh, cases. Six episode limited series kicked off January 14th, as I mentioned, wrapped up uh, on President's Day weekend. It had a lot of potential, I thought, in the early going. I was pretty excited about the pilot. Um, you know, it almost looked warmer in Ennis, Alaska than it was here in Colorado Springs the day that it aired, because that was the day we were like minus eight outside. We were in our own frozen tundra. I think it kicked off on Martin Luther King weekend. So apparently it it wanted to go one holiday weekend to another. Um, I thought there was a lot of potential. I was kind of interested in some of the elements. You have a good supporting cast. John Hawks was in this. Uh, Christopher Eccleston um, pops up a little bit. There are some questions. Then you get to kind of the big ultimate reveal. And I know, Eric, for you, uh, when you realized that it was actually going to be the finale last week, you were not prepared. You didn't think they were ready to earn uh, a finale. The finale, probably the longest episode, an hour and 15 minutes. How did that one hit you? That was one of the best episodes of television I've seen all year. It was just completely, completely unearned by the episodes that preceded it. I, I do not understand. I have complete faith and I'm excited to hear that Issa Lopez is going to make a season five because every episode with her name as the director or credited 
there are issues that I have with like with the characters and whatnot, but those can be chalked up to personal preference, not bizarre like foundational like why are we focused on this instead of this type choices like that that i i will just say like you mentioned how like the first episode there's a little bit of inspiration of john carpenter's the thing and there's like a tease of that and you mostly never see that again but here comes isa lopez writer and director of the last episode and you have the poster of the thing embodied in Navarro wearing a headlight that is flashing out from a coat. And I'm just like, huh? And then the entire thing is just like a completely separate tone from the rest of the series of them being, you know, paranoid and locked in. And I almost, I, I wish this was eight episodes long. And we got to see over like three episodes, them frozen into this place. And having to confront what is supernatural and what is not. I said I was going to ask you, Matt. What were they pointing at? What were they all pointing at? The people who were uh, all over Navarro every time when they were in Wheeler's room and whatnot. They're all like, ah, and they're all pointing. What were they pointing at? Were they just being spooky? I don't know. Nobody knows. I mean, the implication is people started seeing... um some ghost visages um that was certainly oh, yeah. a character played by callie reese um which is navarro like started seeing that i mean that i have i have plenty of questions you're saying you think it would have been better longer i almost went the would go the other way i'm not sure they had enough story to justify six episodes i almost wonder if it would have been better if it was four or if it was a film because i think there were a lot of things having more time allowed them to throw in things that I'm not sure they ever intended. So one of the episodes is about the discovery of this creepy AF trailer. Which what happened? <laughs> never <laughs> never really matter ends up mattering that much. I don't know what the um the guy, you know, the the guy, the drug fueled guy that they find, other than maybe telling them where they could dig in the ice. Although I feel like if they pulled out a map, they probably could have determined that themselves. There are um, a lot of personal sort of issues, um, you know, with Pryor and his wife and family, and Pryor and his father, and. Um, you know, the chief and, and her stepdaughter, adopted daughter, whatever that they, they don't really flesh a lot of those things out. And so I'm going to be perfectly honest. I told you like, after I initially watched it, I didn't watch it on Sunday night. I watched first thing Monday morning. I was like, yeah, that worked for me. That, you know, that was about what I expected. I have subsequently thought about it a little bit and listened to some um, discussions where people started bringing up things. And I was like, right, right. I'm still going to say, it, tell me some things. I don't know. It, well, like about the trailer or about the, or so John Hawk's character you spend like the first three episodes knowing that he's like ordering a mail order bride, possibly getting catfish. Not a lot comes of that. Um, in terms of how it relates, 
or the uh, essentially the Night Country version of the Log Lady, who is the one that followed um, her ghost lover out to find the bodies, and then in the last episode helps Prior dispose of some evidence. But we don't really know a lot about her or what her role is. I was never totally clear what Christopher Eccleston's actual role in the police structure of Alaska is. We know he's potentially running for like mayor or governor or something. He also has some culpability in one of these crimes, but it's not totally clear. So I guess there's two ways to go. You're right in the sense that maybe this as a six episode series, it works okay, but either make it eight or 10, to 10 and actually follow through on any actually of these things more, that you're doing yeah. or you Cut make it shorter and threads. you drop some things like would it have worked just as well if all we knew about Jodie Foster's character is that her husband and son had been killed in an accident and that we didn't have this back and forth with a is it her daughter is it her stepdaughter is it what is their relationship why are they you know, and they were trying to make some commentary about injustice among uh, natives, which is laudable um, in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, the way that they explore the crimes, you know, the, ultimately you could say that the inciting crime for True Detective Night Country is these guys at a research station that go away but for most of the episode including most of the finale we don't care that much about what happened to them and ultimately we don't really care about getting justice for them we're mostly interested in a native woman who was murdered brutally and dropped out that no one seems to have cared about and, and that's that's totally fine i've seen crime dramas built around that I, I mean one of my favorite movies of all time is wind river which is essentially about the scourge of mines and developers and things like that coming into native communities and abusing or taking advantage of the people and, and leaving a trail of bodies that nobody can make themselves care about. And, you know, that one's haunting. That one's a great two hour, two hour detective one with Elizabeth Olsen and Jeremy Renner has one of the most haunting shootout sequences I think I've ever seen. Like when she gets blown off the porch, mm. you can do a really good. So and part of me wonders too. So the, I will say the one thing that worked the least for me about night country were all the nods, tips of the cap or ways that they tried to retcon true detective, the first true detective into it, trying to make these, these connections. And that could be because the genesis of this project was apparently Lisa Lopez had an idea for this detective story and she brought it to HBO and it was not a, I want to make a continuation of true detective HBO saw it and thought we have this, anthology franchise and this would be a perfect and so it was reworked to fit into that i listened to a further interview with her where she talked about uh jodie foster's character and the way that it was originally set up and jodie foster didn't had some thoughts about that isn't the right direction and kind of helped mold and shape that so it sounds like this was a project that kind of 
was molded and shaped to fit in a lot of boxes and you know maybe it needed to be a feature film or it needed to be most true detective seasons i think all the previous ones were eight um so maybe it did need more i the thing i i will say i'm giving this a mild thumbs up i think if you're a fan of the genre this does well enough and it is we have seen a lot of these ones get to the precipice of the end and kind of whiff on giving you any answers to anything. And I'm not going to say this one answered everything, but it at least tied some things up to where you got some kind of satisfying resolution. And I, I'm a fan of true. I'll say I'm a fan of the true detective franchise. I have watched all of them. I think they've all started with promise and fallen off. And I'm going to say even the original first season, the peak of the first season is episode four when you're in the middle of the mystery and they have that shootout. And by the time you get to the end, it sort of peters out hard. And I'm not even sure it provides you satisfying <laughs> resolution to the original case. I still enjoy the... I enjoyed the process, but I, I wouldn't, you know, there are a lot of criticisms that could be leveled against previous seasons of True Detective as well, which is why I find it a little frustrating and ironic that Nick Pizzolatto seems to be taking to social media and talking about how unsatisfying this was. And like, if anyone understands an unsatisfying mystery, it should be you, friend. But <laughs> that we are in kind of a, this crime genre thing is is huge right now. I'm in the middle of another series called Death and Other Details that I thought had a fascinating pilot that I go back and forth with our friend Ricky about every week because I, I feel like it's about to to drive into a ditch. He, he thinks it's gotten to be garbage. I'm not going to go that far yet, but A Murder at the End of the World came out right at the end, end of the year. That one had a lot of really cool setups and stuff, and I thought the ultimate who did it and motive and everything for the murder mystery left me feeling like that was seven hours of my life. I might never get back. So, I mean, we've had a lot kind of mixed bags and I don't, I will agree with you that probably wasn't earned, but it was good enough for me, I guess. I, again, I thought, I thought that the idea of that, episode as a story that unfolds in and of itself was excellent i i thought like the the way they play at the tension of it beats where uh jodie foster is at like her peak of riding the line between trying to be this callous detective and being like a human and it's some of the best work like her that in episode five i think are her best work in the show and and Navarro, who's a character that I I'm so invested in because it's amazing this idea of like a character who can at the end of episode four be basically in a trance due to grief and possible supernatural issues, and then be just seemingly fine at the beginning of the next episode. They don't address it. They don't talk about it. Then and they kind of have a weird ending for her. In the, well, in the well, finale too. Um, that's where I'm Depending going. On. Is 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 they they have this buildup of like grief and loss and and her like ties to the native culture in that area, and there's so much of that area 
that could be explored about the exploitation of the people that live there and whatnot is so tied to this character Navarro. And then we spend all of our time following Jodie Foster's daughter. And then we don't end up really knowing everything about either character. And Jonathan Hawks specifically, my, I think he sums up everything I have an issue with, which is, you're right, we spend three episodes focusing on how he's sort of the butt of a joke and he's sort of an abuser and he's sort of these other things and we kind of know about him. And this woman who is supposed to come see him doesn't show up and everyone's like, of course, and whatnot. But it seems like there's almost nothing going on with him except for a tease that he's with bad guys until episode five where you find out he isn't on the original mystery. He was the one that moved the body. He is uh, core to everything. He really loves his son. He once saved his mom's son by breaking him out of the ice. No, 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 no. Like, like you get his whole thing in this one jumble. He sings a song that I'm not even kidding should have been the title song of the show. It's gorgeous. He's so complex and they just like it's like they scrapped that all out of the other episodes. And that and was almost this one. That would probably be my biggest criticism for wrapping things up in the finale too. I I don't yeah. think we got closure, really great closure for for prior. prior. No. Yeah. Absolutely. And so Jonathan kind of Hawks hung out to dry. Well, and I that mail order bride thing. That mail order bride thing was going to come back into play at the end when when he disappears. They missed a golden opportunity to just say like he could have. She shows up. Oh no! No, like he went to go be with her or something. Oh. Like oh yeah, that would have been. You could have tied. Well, here's the thing. I think on paper it was supposed to play a part in the sense that they clearly had this narrative that got all shoved into episode five where his character is supposed to be like, I'm not going to cross a line. I'm not going to kill for you back in the scene that I call the star Wars scene. Cause it's like the secret we're in with the villains for some reason, listening to them talk. Don't know why. And um, you know, they give him instructions on how he's supposed to kill this guy. And I, I almost get the sense that I, I have a hint that maybe this guy was supposed would to be like under the thumb of these people, but not willing to cross certain lines. And when his mail order bride doesn't show up, there's no love in his life. His son's not with him and he's got nothing left to live for. And so he commits yeah. to doing these other things. Well, it seems like he did, orig did the original thing for money and also that he was supposed to be made chief of police. And now they're holding yeah. that chief of police carrot. But that was the other right. thing. It was really hard to under. It doesn't really seem like he's necessarily under Jodie Foster's authority at any point in time right. during the show. And also, it doesn't seem like she has a whole lot of authority as the chief of police either. Right. Christopher Eccleston's character, I thought they said he was a captain. He's something. He's the one that she sent her out captain there. in something because also John Hawk's character was a captain. But it was it's I guess maybe I don't know enough about Alaska police structure, but there were I had some questions that they're not huge questions, but definitely were I questions. Just, and he's never he never even appears in the finale. And we have to know that he is culpable in some way or would have yeah. Been involved well, in some way, or and again, I love the that that idea of like a haunting realization that this case is so much bigger than you can control, and the solution they come up with in the end for how they deal with the killer and the killers and and all of that sort of like 
you've stepped into dangerous territory. You have to make a moral decision about what you're going to do. And you have to either walk away or you're going to die. Like, like the, the weight and the stakes of it made a lot of sense, but it's just, we spent so little time with the workers from that research facility in order to get that ending. And we spent so little time with Jonathan Hawks in order to get, you know what? There was somebody I heard that, uh, that said something that, Made me chuckle at the time, but feels a little bit true that the you know the actual true detective in the Night Country story were the cleaning people at the Salal station who managed to figure out. They're so, not uh, wrong. Jonathan Hawks, right before spoiler alert, he gets shot. Uh decides to give them a cryptic clue that he moved the body. Instead of if that's what you're gonna do, Which, instead of just saying, "Hey, you're about to shoot me," this is what happened. Does that mean that he happened. cut her tongue out? Oh, I don't think we know what happened. I think that's well, supposed to still be a the, creepy mystery. Yeah, like because like then who put he wouldn't be the one in possession of the tongue because then why would he just leave it at the re- unless it fell out of his pocket? Oh, like, so I, why are they all drawing this the spiral thing if that's really just? The yeah, if it's just supposed to be ice, I'm like, I guess talking about taking your work home with you, dude. Well, I don't know because that's the 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 spiral well, thing people is who have never been tied to some really. deity from season one, and that's why it has a symbolism down in Louisiana. And here we are in Alaska, and people are like, no, that had a very practical purpose. Don't know how that got, don't know how that got down there. Like, okay, yeah. they they just they had so much meat to chew on. And they chose to just pick at the bone for like six episodes and then just be done. And it's so bizarre. I really want to see what it's like if Isa Lopez gets more creative control with season five. It's so weird. So where do you ultimately land? I'm I'm really frustrated when something has like good, a lot of good in it. It doesn't do a lot with it. I am going to give it one thumb up. I do think a person would sit through these episodes and even if you're like scratching your head or even screaming at the screen, sometimes you would enjoy your time with it. Um, so I can't say it's like bad, especially what a monumental project it is to pull together basically a six hour movie and have it tied in and all that kind of stuff. So I am kind of excited again that we're going to get another installment curious to yeah. see, um, you know, where it goes. We've had a couple of long running, you know, anthology series that, that gave us new uh, installments lately. Got um, the fifth season of Fargo too. Uh, they came mm-hmm. out. Um, that one I actually thought was more satisfying beginning to end. But there again, had 10, 10 episodes to flesh their stuff out. I liked it. I I liked it for what it was well enough. Um, but I. Again, I will mention I'm not one of those people that thinks the original was a flawless masterpiece. I don't think it's a flawless masterpiece, but I do think it's it's definitely, I think, unless there's a standalone season of Breaking Bad that I'm not thinking of, or, or some, there's some other shows that I would say this with, but just like as far as in television, a standalone story in one season, I think it is the best that I, I to me that I've seen. Um, and that is just, I, I think they're just, it's really entertaining how you can get into such bizarre characters and have them feel 
human and grounded. And then the one that initially feels like the robotic, like oddball turns out to be the more tame and, and empathetic one. Whereas the other one turns out to be this like raging monster. And there are so many interesting thoughts about how those characters make each other grow and getting to look at them over three different periods of time and watch them try and play these people at different times in their lives is just so interesting. Like, like I've, I've seen, I've watched it all the way through like a few times in my life. And every single time I'm, I'm usually caught off guard by how you start in episode one, watching Matthew McConaughey in 2012 and Matthew McConaughey in 95. And it's just sort of like how much of him in the present day is like a persona or what is going on or how did he become that? And then just kind of watching how he sort of honestly just fell off a little bit and how like time is worn on him and all this stuff. Well, like the way that circle. So. Yeah. But like, it's one that he's, I guess, run over by because I don't know. It just, it feels so right. I don't know. Have you ever to... watched the anthology series Fargo? I have seen episode one and I loved it so much that I said my wife and I should watch it together. So we're waiting. So I would say um, for me, that would be more of the gold standard of a crime anthology. Season cool. one is great. Season two is better. Season three is good. Season four is mid season five is better. I would say four seasons of Fargo are better than any season of true detective I've seen. Wow. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, that's exciting. These, these crime I really, really, really like that first episode of Fargo. Like I don't, um... and that one's really good, but uh, season two is probably the best of mm. their seasons, which is saying something. Cause that's uh, that I'm pretty sure that's Ted Dancy, Allison Tolman, Colin. Hey. Man, the cast of that show confuses me. I don't know how they keep... Well, this uh, last season, uh, season five, was uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Juno Temple, uh, John Hamm. Which one was... Chris Rock? Chris Rock was season four. It, it's not terrible, but it didn't quite... One didn't point quite up hit... Yeah, didn't quite jump hit. into a, an awesome pool and then didn't, didn't quite hit. Okay. I mean, it's fine though. Uh, well, hopefully, you know, as we go along, we might mix in some more of these uh, TV projects, miniseries, or anthologies because they can be, um, you know, a whole lot of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe if you end up watching Masters of the Air, you can go touch on that because I, I thought that was it is the year of Austin Butler. Which yes. uh, prepares us for really kick off week. next week. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's let's hope it goes better than the last year. I think I around this time of year, I thought it was going to be the year of blanked uh, on his name. Now he was in uh, in Creed three and oh, John Majors. Majors. Yeah, they never even released magazine dreams. That yeah, well. If you had seen it uh, and understood the um, subject of that film in oh. relation to the subject of his charges. Oh, no. 
Oh no! I actually hadn't considered, but uh, I don't know if that would be a great idea. They're like, oh, we can't release this. Oh, uh, he gives a fantastic performance. Yeah. Anyway, uh, very excited for what could end up being the biggest blockbuster of the year so far. We get Dune Part Two next week. Uh, I don't know how you felt. The, the first one, I would probably give like a mild thumbs up. I thought it was technically brilliant, but I didn't love all the stories. You know, I was not as high as some other people that I have understood that this one um, writes some of those ships. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, and then we will also make uh, make some of our pitches and pleas for the Oscars uh, next week because the Oscars are uh, two weeks from tomorrow. Yep. Finally bringing to a close 2023, like a good accountant, bringing it all the way to the spring before we drop to a close. Right. Uh, it feels like some of those 2023 blockbusters were a lifetime ago. It does. Yeah. So, uh, but March going to be a huge month because we get Dune uh, next week. Um, we get, you know, Kung Fu Panda 4 on March 8th. I know that's the biggest really no, I'm just kidding. Of the month there are actually quite a few things coming out in the middle of the month. Uh, the American Society of Magical Negroes, uh Arthur the King, uh there's a couple other things that come out in the middle of the month and then we get Ghostbusters Frozen River which I'm still excited for but slightly less excited to realize Jason Reitman wrote the script and didn't direct this one. Oh. Yes, I like I liked that second trailer, the one that played before Driveway Dolls. I yeah, it's not bad. It looks uh, like and they then did a little more practical. Godzilla X Kong, I'm still excited to see, but I have not yet seen a trailer. I guess I'll have to go look and see if there is one. There's some with like a big baby monkey. I'm I'm going in with just that vision. I mean, you would I somebody that goes to the theater all the time, and I've not yeah, you should see a trailer by trailer. now. Yeah. Yeah, so, so they're counting on word of mouth. Yeah, they're so excited. They're so confident in the quality of the movie that they know that word of mouth is the way to go. Must Don't be. spoil it, so, yeah. But that'll do it for us this week. We will see you guys uh, next week, uh, hopefully full of spice, the spice of Happy Dune times. Until then, we will see you at the movies that you just pre-saging.